This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. This is a fun one today. We are going to be reviewing Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 4, No Win Scenario, which is missing a hyphen. I just need to point that out. Um, <laughs> it's really bothering me. I can't stand it. I, every time I see it, I want to add the hyphen. Anyway, Maybe it's No Win Scenario. Yeah, No Kill I. No, but it is. It has a hyphen. Everybody. Just the hyphen belongs there. Anyway. It's a great episode that we're going to talk about. Very exciting today. We also did an interview with Gates McFadden about her podcast, which is going to be in this week's episode. So before we get to that, we've got just a tiny little bit of news for you. And the first, we're going to start with Jonathan Frake's comments about the ending, the impending ending of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, that was our breaking news last week. And um, you know, fans are still reeling from it, I think. And there's been a lot of commentary from cast and crew, which we did an article on that. Maybe the the most interesting thing was, you know, Frakes, because you know, he he considers the show, he calls it his home base. It really brought him back to Star Trek, if you think yeah. about it. Oh, it, it absolutely did. You know, it's really transformed his life. So he's kind of taking it hard. And uh, he said it sucks and he's disappointed. He's not angry. He gets it. It's the business. Yeah, he knows the business, too. He understands all that. But it still sucks. Now, he did talk about how what he called there's a stunning plan for (laughs) the what's now going to be the series finale. What was the season finale? And he would know because last year when I interviewed him, I interviewed him. Right when he was doing some reshoots for episode nine, which is the previous episode, but it's actually a two part season finale. So he, you know, he's in the loop, as it were, on the season finale. So I guess he knows what they're planning on doing, turning that episode into a series finale. He said it will be a satisfying ending. I don't know when they're shooting that, if they've already started. Anthony Rapp is 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 in New York. Yeah, his show just got extended through uh, part of June. Keep an eye for people on Instagram from the show saying, hey, you know, the weather in Toronto is great. <laughs> or not so much. <laughs> How is the weather in Toronto right now? Um, It'll be better in like another couple of months. I mean, I'm actually going in a couple of weeks myself, so I'll, I'll report back. But they're definitely having much more of a winter than I am here in New York. So this was an interview in Cinema Blend, and they asked him about a follow-on 32nd Century spinoff, which, you know, they didn't mention the Academy show, but a lot of people think that's what we're talking about. And Frank said, I wouldn't hold my breath, which is kind of surprising because he's he should be pretty clued in. So he's taking a bit of a skeptical view. I wonder how much of that has to do with finding out that Discovery is going to end. Yeah. That it might just be a little, some pessimism attached to that, perhaps? Well, we've reported and I've said, I know that work has happened behind the scenes and I know that there's an interest, but Paramount is, like everyone, cutting corners. They're selling BET, you know, money isn't infinite. Yeah, and, it, uh, and it's a time of transition for sure, too. I still think that the Academy show and some version of Section 31 are being cooked up and they want those to happen. I don't think section 31 is a show anymore. It just because of Michelle and right. We've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, I think he's being overly, you know, skeptical, but it's, you know, it's quite possible that 
there's going to be a little bit of a break before they launch new things um, because, you know, yep. money. And I, I get his him feeling personal about it. Like, I, I worked on the after show the first season and that's it. And they've had all this stuff since and the ready room and all these things. But it has I've retained my personal connection to the show because of working on After Trek. So I get it right there with you, buddy. Now, a show that is going into the future is Strange New Worlds. And another indication of how the company views Strange New Worlds is Paramount Global. This is the corporate owner of Paramount Plus, CBS, etc., is running a new branding campaign. And Strange New Worlds is first. Yeah, the first thing in there was Strange New Worlds and Star Trek, talking about 50 years of fandom. And... You know, so this is not, you know, because this is covering the whole corporation, which includes Paramount Pictures and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's got a kind of a top spot feeling about it. And, you know, what it is the only live action Star Trek show, but it's important that it shows that Star Trek is still very important to the corporation as a whole, which is important. It is like later in the spot, you get shots of Harrison Ford like <laughs> because of his show. So, you know, for Star Trek to be first when they have. A-lister stars on other shows is impressive. It says something. Yeah, and Sylvester Stallone and and RuPaul. You know, they've got them all. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have ever thought? Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Star Trek, and RuPaul. Now, Discovery's going to be part, I mean, you know, it's probably because maybe they didn't know, but because, you know, this campaign, I'm sure, was in the works for a while, but there's going to be an outdoor campaign, and that will include some Discovery imagery, as well this campaign will be running in la and new york you know discovery is still an active show until a year from now so and i think they obviously they're going to want people to watch it and it's important to them and i think they might even get an increased audience from people who are like all right i'll watch this thing wrap up that makes sense when you announce something as a final season and you make a deal out of it they said they're going to do some kind of you know global campaign around this being the final season so Right. In multiple markets or something like that. So who knows what exactly that will be. Star Trek Strange New Worlds also just won uh, three Canadian costume awards from the Canadian Alliance of Film and Television Costume Arts and Design, also called CAFTCAD, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they were nominated for four awards. They won three. Discovery was in a bunch of those categories, but didn't win. But it's, you know, they've their, the costumes on that show are great, and obviously the Elysian Kingdom uh, episode scored them some awards there. When you look at the competition, you don't, you know, some people don't realize how much great television and film is shot in Canada, and so you know it was a a big deal. And Discovery's been a big winner at these awards before. And I hate to say this, but this kind of feels a little bit like another passing of the torch because Strange New Worlds beat out Discovery in every category it was in. You know, the last time this award show came up, Discovery won three awards. Now it's Strange New Worlds. Right. That's the future. But it's a Discovery spinoff, so it's still there. It's Star Trek family, as the kids say. So... Uh, Before we get to the Gates interview, we have some exclusive Picard news. This all started with a tweet from Robert Beltran, which was, he said he was offered an episode and he says two or one episodes of Picard and he turned it down. He said, 
I simply did not like what they had written for Chicote, so I turned them down. I won't go into detail, but I have no animosity toward the Picard producers at all. And then he added that he's happy about the Chicote on Star Trek Prodigy. Okay, well, that wasn't good enough for me. So, so... I'm so glad it wasn't because <laughs> this is great. So I contacted Terry Metalis and I'm like, okay, is, you know, what's the story here? And he was nice enough to reveal the true story here. Cause a lot, I mean, I think immediately you think, Oh, season three, how would he fit into season three? Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't season three, this is season two. So, so Beltran's talking about fairly old news now, and it was specifically episode two. And that's the alt universe episode. If everyone remembers. And here's the kicker. So in that episode, Seven was the president of the, you know, evil federation, right? The confederation. And Chakotay was going to be evil Chakotay. Alt-universe Chakotay was going to be her husband. I would have loved that because I'm the only person on the planet who thought that Seven and Chakotay were a good match. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess he just, I mean, they never did a mirror universe on Voyager, right? They didn't. They had one episode where the doctor was dispelling this idea that this planet had that everyone on Voyager was evil. So we got right. to see That's... scenes as if they were mirror universe people. But yeah, it was, that was really, close to it. It, but it, it was wasn't incorrect the same history, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, Picard mirror. wasn't mirror universe either. It was an, a, a fascist alternate universe. Right. Kind of similar but different to the mirror universe. Right. I guess, you know, he just, and I get, you know, he, he just thought, I don't like Chakotay being, because you know, the magistrate character, which we saw, he would have been that guy. And that guy was the primary villain. Right. The guy who was played by uh, Issa Brionis's dad. Yeah. You know, and he gets killed, you know, and that's the, tri- you know, the cool thing is that they kill him, you know. So I, I could see why he might not have wanted to do that. I mean, I think for some actors, that would just be super fun. I mean, it just depends on who you are. But I think especially because he's doing Prodigy where he gets to be, you know, noble, wonderful Chakotay, heroic Chakotay. So I sort of get it. But I would have enjoyed that. I think that would have been cool. I'm not sure other (laughs) fans would have liked it as much as I would have. I'll be honest. (laughs) People really hate that episode with Seven and Chakotay. And I (laughs) mysteriously like it. He doesn't even like it. Robert Beltran was like, that relationship made no sense at all. And I'm yeah, like, it was I, so I out of the dis- blue. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think he had chemistry with all of his female co-stars. They could have paired him up with any of them. I agreed that Chakotay Janeway romance was a bad idea and yes. should have never even been hinted at. Agree. They should have given him something to do on the romance side more than he had. But there were episodes where early on where Balana kind of liked him. Like you could tell she had feelings yeah. and then they shifted that. Yeah. So I just, I felt like whoever they put him with, it always kind of worked. Anyway, on our, on our latest episode of our Star Trek Voyager podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, can we do that next? <laughs> let's move on. We already recorded this. So we're going to roll in our interview with Gates McFadden. It was done over the phone, so the audio isn't going to be as wonderful as we sound now. Yes, get uh, ready to adjust your settings. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back on the other end of it to talk about the episode. Hello, Gates. Welcome. (laughs) 
Oh, hello. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> so the first season of your podcast, you're mostly talking to people that you've known for a very long time and mostly that you know very well. And this season you're talking to people who may not be like your intimates the same way. So how did that change your approach to the conversations that you were having? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a part of me that is excited because I want to get to know them, like Tawny Newsom. It just was like we clicked, and we had, we had clicked when we met in person. We'd only met a couple of times, but she just was dazzling to me. She was so open and um, funny and smart. And the same thing with Jack Quaid. I just, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, so I'm much more careful about I don't want to say something that I might know about them but they might not want to talk about. But then, of course, I can edit things out that people say, I wish we hadn't talked about that. I'll just edit it out. I'm not trying to do any expose on people. But so far, this season, I've really enjoyed the people who I don't know as well. Uh, I think the only one that was tricky was Anson, Anton Mount, and we both laughed really hard about it when I saw him, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I said, I don't know what happened, but, man, we should do we should do a podcast on what didn't work. And he said, yes, we should do that. And we're going to maybe do that because it's so hilarious. You know, there's just times you're talking to somebody and you're like, wait a minute, why did I ask that question? That was dumb. So, you know, and there's many things you want to know, but I know you know what I'm talking about. It just kind of yeah. doesn't click. And it, it's actually just one of the luck of the draw because if you were doing it in person it would have clicked enormously and you would have gone somewhere else so I think that's part of the problem on zoom you can't read the room quite as well yeah you started with Bill this season which is kind of like a big deal he doesn't do or he claims he doesn't do podcasts but he does pick and choose I guess now to do podcasts so how did you know was there much to convince him and Bill also kind of falls into a routine, as it were. How did you get him out of his comfort zone? Well, okay, I, thank you for, for saying that. I, that's one of the things I was really trying hard to do. And it's tricky. I don't know if I succeeded that well, but, but I, I certainly wanted it to be a real conversation. There were certain things that I chose not to put in that that were definitely kind of stunning moments, but they they just weren't appropriate for what I was doing in the podcast. I know that's tantalizing, but so be it. Um, he w- I was very lucky and very pleased that he did it. I think he was being kind because <laughs> he knew it would be very helpful and, uh, and he hadn't been doing many. And I actually had such a good time talking with him. Uh, he is such a fascinating guy. And yes, he goes into a routine sometimes, but good Lord, to have that many things that one is doing and you remember and talk about, oh, I, he has had a dazzling life, let's be honest. He has, and I was just very impressed that you got him to have a real conversation instead of go through his his checklist. Well, thank you. Thank you. But, you know, we we all do that. I find myself, I don't know if you guys do with your podcast, but I'll find myself going into my routine. And even while I'm doing it, I'll go, no, stop. Stop, Gates. Don't do that. You've already talked about that. Stop. So it's an interesting phenomenon. I, I feel what I've learned it's well a lot. I've learned that I don't like listening to myself, that I'm very judgmental on myself, and I like the other person much more than I like listening to myself. <laughs> but I suppose that's normal. Do you ever find that? A hundred percent of the time. 
all the time. (laughs) I know. How can we? And yet you have to listen back, right, to learn. You do. You You do. Yeah. But I find sometimes I'm so worried about what's happening next that I get out of just being in the present. I'm far too concerned with keeping the ball rolling. And I've been really working on trying not to care so much about that. Because you can edit pauses, but right. I'm, too used to, I'm too used to being in a live room, and so I feel that compulsion, oh, we've got to keep it moving. And it's, it's just because I'm not experienced enough, I think. Your, your new ep, brand new episode this week is with Kate Mokru, and speaking of routines, I mean, the, I'm going to bring it up, but the ghost candle is a recurring joke um, <laughs> that you like to bring up. You and Tawny joked about it, but what was fascinating is with Kate, it was it was kind of different because she wasn't in on the joke, so it 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 changed how you you know suddenly you weren't joking about something. You actually had to explain to her what this thing really was, and I don't know. I found that fascinating. You know, you know, uh, it almost like you know, I guess the question is, did it like bring back all the old memories and stuff like that of that whole no. era? No, I, I I think it's just fun, and what's great is how my evolution on the, on the episode has been. Because I do now think it's hilarious. And that's great. Why not think it's hilarious instead of <laughs> being concerned? It, it's turned out to be uh, this cult thing. And, um, it, you know, you have to laugh at yourself and laugh at what's gone on. And, it, and I, I, I just can't get upset by something like that. So it was fun to explain it to her. And she laughed. I, I mean, it's funny. Uh, you don't... She loved it. No reason. <laughs> Yeah, she loved it. So why wouldn't anybody? You know, it's so crazy. There's something else that came up in your conversation with Kate that I was pretty fascinated by because you, and I've heard you talk about this before, that Next Generation never really explored the the single mom and son relationship properly. And so do you feel like that sort of itch is getting scratched on Picard this season? Um, I think certainly a lot more, that's for sure. I I, I find it... um, yeah, much more, because there also is the the start of Crusher has been, they, she and her son have been working on bringing health services and medicine to people on sort of lost planets, and that shows something that's a bonding experience and skills that they're working together. So that's great. One of the things that happens is when you're on a show with a lot of male characters, I mean, the male characters want to explore parenting and the lack of or having it. And mothers, um, if there's a bunch of women writers, they're going to have a different experience about motherhood. You know, like I talk oh, yeah. to my son. I talk to my son practically every day. I mean, not always. Sometimes there'll be a week that goes by, but sometimes we'll talk two or three times a day. And it's because we like each other. You know, it's not out of parenting skills. It's out of just we like each other and we like to... Uh, laugh together and talk about things. And we also like to talk about philosophy. That sort of thing is not always present, I think, in, in a lot of the sci-fi things because uh, it just if there's more male writers, it's going to be more from um, a male parenting point of view usually. I know that Terry was very open. I, we talked about it. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that they tried to make sure that there were, you know, it showed that there was a bond and we had done a lot together. But again... The series is not called Crusher; it's called Picard. So, right. um, you know, there's, but, there's a reason. 
but you know, the, the is the Jack uh, relationship with Jack is very important. But you know, Terry has said that there's more to Crusher than the family dynamic. And in the latest episode, Crusher is the one who puts it all together. You know, so, do, do you see season you know this this season as you know more on the family side or more on Crusher doing what she does best, which is being a scientist and a doctor? I think it's Crusher does what she does best. Yeah, and I but I actually think it's pretty balanced. I think there's a lot of things that are just who she is as a woman. You know, I I feel that at least she's got a much much deeper character than I ever was given on TNG or certainly in the movies. I want to talk to you about the Tawny episode actually. So have you been watching? I know you watch a lot of the shows. Have you been watching Lower Decks? Yeah, I don't watch it consistently. What I do is I'll watch uh, you know two or three at a time. I think it's hilarious. I really like it. Yeah, I'd love to see you on it actually that would be fun um, i mean i i just think the the writer producer the whole group is is fantastic all of the the voice actors on it and the characters are just just fabulous yeah i mean the interesting thing on that show actually is that we have jazzy Riker, and i'm very curious about what the lower decks version of beverly crusher would be i know <laughs> i know <laughs> but i love that their doctor's a cat person <laughs> yeah um, you and Tani really seem to connect on that podcast. Have you spent time together since? Since then, have you? Well, I went to her. I went to her birthday party. I don't know if you saw the picture on Twitter. It was supposed to be goth. Uh, you either had to go as a French fry or someone goth, or just go in black. So, yeah, I I went and had a great time. And her producer was there, who's so wonderful, and uh, some of the writers. It was. She's just great. I would love to do something with Tani at some point because uh, she's my kind of woman. You mentioned Anson Mount. Yeah, it's been... going to be at the end. It's going to be at the end because I actually think we, I mean, if we can get it together, I do want to sort of try to, uh, to do another podcast where we talk about, because he does podcasts. And so we both have had experiences where they just don't go well. And we thought that would be hilarious to do a podcast talking about <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't go well on a podcast. So we might do that. You should go on his too. I've listened to his. It's very good. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. You're watching all the new track. You're a fan of Strange New Worlds then? Yes. I just can't. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, and I also like Danish <laughs> Noir and French series. And, you know, so I, I, I'm not, like, watching all of them, but I definitely intentionally familiarized myself with them, and I really genuinely like them all. I really thought they each spoke to something, and I loved the actors in them. I thought they were per- performers that were just, Terrific. So upcoming, we've got Anson and Jack. Jack is uh, Jack is next week. Jack Quaid, who is totally charming and lovely, and uh, then I have Rosalind Chow, and then I'm I've so got, excited for that one. She's just fabulous. Okay, I mean she's just fabulous. Doing the sound editing on her, what a lovely, uh, talented woman, really. Um, and then also I'm doing. Um, Terry Metalis and uh, Ed Spaliers, who I call Teddy. Um, <laughs> that's coming up. And then, of course, the fabulous Alexander Sadig, who is, <sighs> you know, so interesting, so charming. <laughs> there's, there's just, the actors on these shows are really wonderful. You know, they're, they're interesting people. So it's a, I, 
just them doing my best trying to get them engaged in conversations they they want to have and it it is of course harder when you don't really know somebody super well but um but it's also interesting you know yeah did you learn anything that really surprised you about any of these people oh lots of things i don't know if i can you know list them off many things you know and I think on the podcast, I go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. Really? You know, so I, I think it's sort of spontaneous. I don't hold in my my surprise. You'll have to listen. Does it ever, if they listen to them, oh, they'll, I do. they'll, they'll Yeah. yeah. <laughs> does, it, does it ever go the other way? Do you ever find yourself saying something there like, I can't believe I just said that? Oh, yeah, all the time. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm the problem on most of the conversations. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm not claiming I'm the best podcaster. I am trying to learn something new because somebody asked me to do it. And so they hired me to do it. And it was, I, I like saying, well, sometimes I'm, I'm sort of, I have to be dragged into something. But um, I, I resist for a while. And then I go, well, why not learn something new? And so I've learned how to sound edit. And it takes me forever. But it's editing, and I think my mind likes editing. It's just that it becomes tedious, but I like learning new things. So I'm learning about podcasting. You mentioned you're going to do a chat with Terry, and I know so I know you and Terry, we talked on the red carpet, and you've mentioned how you and he you know, work together for you know, the, the upcoming season. Is that, you know, are we going to get insight into that, or is it this more about um, other uh, angles of you know, Terry's life yeah, and your I'm, life? Some other angles. I'm trying not to be a Star Trek podcaster. You're right. Star Trek podcaster people. And yeah. I don't want to try <laughs> to pretend that I am because I'm not. So I'm more interested in listening to your podcast about an episode. Because, again, I've said this, I think, even on the podcast, maybe with Rosalind, that when you're an actor, you're you're working on your intention and what you're playing. And you don't always see the big picture. Directors see the big picture. Um, writers see the big picture. But that's why it's fascinating. When I first listened to some, these two guys, I can't even remember the name of their podcast, but I loved them. And they were, they were eating sandwiches as they were discussing Remember Me. And it was really great. I went, wow, you guys really knew what you were doing. I wish I'd been talking to you during the shooting of the episode. And, and so I, I like listening to someone else's interpretation or how they saw something or how they, you know, perceived the episode. But I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to have conversations. I was, uh, it's, this was not something that I had an, my own idea of, oh, gee, I think I'd be a great podcaster. I want to try this. It's more somebody came to me and said, I really want you to do this. And I said, now, several times, and then finally <laughs> just decided to do it. So, that's what's happening. You know, it's a conversation. On the red carpet, you and I talked about how you wouldn't have done the new season if it was like the movies. And it got me thinking, I would love to hear you talk to Rick Berman. Because I'm kind of curious, did you ever tell him back in the day, like, you know, when they were making the movies, like, you know, I don't, you know, this isn't great. Or, you know, is it, is it just a totally different world now? And that wasn't even possible back then. But that's a conversation I want to hear. Could, well, could you do something like I, that, you think? I, I don't know. Uh, because, first of all, I didn't have a clue how difficult producing a television series really is at that time. Um, and I now am in awe of someone like Rick Berman who produced as much as he did. Uh, 
enormous responsibility. He was doing 50,000 different things at the same time. So far be it from me to just complain about, to him about, gee, why didn't you do this? Yes, they knew that I was unhappy with my role, that it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was. And I, and I made that clear, but, but studios make choices, writers make choices. And I may not like those choices, which, which I didn't, often I didn't like those choices. But that's, that's part of the situation. So you either, you have to make the best of it. So I wanted to be careful this time that um, I didn't get myself into something where I'd be disappointed that the part was hardly there. And I think that it's, it's also hard when you have so many actors who all want a great story. So my hat is off to Terry because he balanced it extremely well over the 10 episodes. You have some episodes where you have a small part. Some characters aren't in other episodes. I'm very, very happy with how Crusher was treated. Yes, I could have seen other things, but so could everyone else. <laughs> so you make choices. I think it's an incredibly tight 10 episodes, and I take my hat off to Terry. I think the story is a really exciting story. One of the biggest things Where's that you- fans are talking oh. about uh, is Dr. Crusher's decision not to tell Picard about Jack, and everybody's there's a huge argument about this. And then we had... Last week, your, you know, Beverly's confrontation with Jean-Luc about that. And I'm very curious about when Terry first pitched the idea of you're going to have a son that you didn't tell Picard about, how you felt about that and what kinds of discussions you guys had. Well, we obviously had discussion. I said, it's not cool if it's just she's blamed as a selfish woman who just wanted the baby for herself. So that was, I absolutely would not have done it if it had been that. I can't fully talk about this, though, until after more episodes have happened. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing is, is um, it's tricky because there were certain things that they couldn't talk about because they get revealed later. And it's it's going to be a discussion. Some people are going to say, I, I you know, Crusher did wrong. Other people are going to say she did right. I think controversy is good in that situation. You know, they're identifying with the character. Would I, Gates McFadden, not tell a father if I got pregnant? Well, of course I'd tell the father, but I'm, you know, the father, there's no Jean-Luc Picard in my life. There's no uh, person who's been going around the galaxies and doing all this stuff. It's, a, it's an imagined situation, and he's, he's an imaginary character uh, as his crusher. So I, I think people have to just wait and see. It was difficult in the discussions because obviously again the show is called Picard but well let's see what happens at the end that's when it's more interesting to discuss because then then other things will be clearer I think that Crusher goes by instinct a lot and I think she had a very strong instinct so she was trying to uh, protect the child but that's all I'll say we did have another podcast question, but if you... Okay, um, all right, let's end on a podcast question. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> You've just done two. So, um, you know, what is it you learned from season one that you applied to season two? Because you're, you know, as you said, you're new to podcasting. And what is it you learned in season two, maybe, that you're going to apply to season three, if there is one? Well, the first thing is to not be afraid of pauses. <laughs> Um, 
And the second one is to try and not record so much material because if I have two hours of material, I have to edit out so many stories, which is why sometimes I ended up with a double episode. And that's what takes so much time. The hours of editing a two-hour podcast down to 50 minutes or whatever, is it takes forever. So I'm now trying to go, okay, just let's stop the conversation at a certain point, take, get some extra so that you can edit down, but don't doesn't have to be an hour and a half extra. That's one of the major things I've learned. I don't think we've learned that yet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's the podcaster dilemma. Well, thank you yeah. very much. Um, you know, All we're you huge fans. I'm um, so glad to hear you. that. <laughs> All right. Well, you take uh, care. Thank you. Thank you, Gates. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. So that was our interview with Gates McFadden. You know, of course, we had a million Picard questions we wanted to ask, but the focus of this interview was primarily her podcast. Gates McFadden investigates who do you think you are which is now in its second season um and you heard us talking about some of the people she's had on and who she's going to have on so we did manage to squeeze in a little bit about Picard with her and hopefully we will be able to talk to her more as the season goes on you know that that was actually tiny bit of breaking news in that she hadn't previously announced Ed Spilliers was going to be on her podcast so yeah looking forward to listening to those two yeah, I think that'll be a really good one. Okay, so I think it's time to talk about no win without the hyphen scenario. <sighs> okay, I'm just putting a, I'm putting a hyphen there in my mind. All right, here's my take on this episode. Here's my overview. There are things I love so much. Like if overall, I would say it's a terrific episode in so many ways. I can't wait to talk about all the great things in it. However, there were moments of contrivance and a few things that I just didn't buy that occasionally took me right out of the episode, which made me sad because it's so good. And Jonathan Frakes is the M MVP of this episode in so many ways. But though a few things just really bothered me. I think I know some of those things that for me, you know, I think it all comes down to I'll, I won't disagree with you on any of them, but none of them took me out of the episode. There's a, there's one thing in the episode um, which I thought was funny and weird, but you know, I just lo I loved it, and because again, there's this great action submarine movie happening, and then I think there's this beautiful theme running through all of the different character, you know, groupings of connection and family and it was just i think you know the dialogue was great and it was really well put together and i like the payoff at the end because this episode is really you know it, there was a mini arc within the episode but it's really a culmination of starting with episode one of jean-luc picard and jack crusher connecting you know as father and son and that's really what this episode is all about. It's about fathers and sons and family and especially those two, you know, so it comes down to whether, you know, you think some of the hoops they jumped through to get there are worth it. I think they were. I mean, ultimately, first of all, the dialogue, you're right. The dialogue is brilliant. It's the episode is written so well. For me, the big part of this episode was the Riker part. I mean, that's the part I connected with the most. I agree with you on all the themes. Um, and then for the most part, it was worth it. But I, 
there are times that I wish they'd taken another route to get to the same spot. And I get it. But let's dig in. Should we dig in? Yeah, well, I mean, but you must agree that the Picard-Jack story is the heart of this episode. The Riker story was almost a thematic echo of that. And it was a good story. That the and I mean, we're talking about the Riker and Troy arc, but that's almost like a not just Riker and Troy. For me, it was Riker and who he is. Riker as a captain, the mistakes we've seen him make. I felt like I understood why that things that some fans are saying are, is out of character for him. I didn't. I found it explained all of those things, and his emotional journey to me was. Let's just say it's what I latched onto. How about that? I get that. Did you think it was a little, like at the beginning, it was a nice scene between the two of them, but it did sort of say, oh, you know, all is forgiven. Now, I, I think it would take a little, little, you know, if you if if you said to someone, you've killed us all and get the hell off the bridge, you know, a week later, yes. But this is minutes later. It just seemed like a very quick turnaround. But they, but they wanted to move on to, you know, to new arcs, new themes, new connections. So I get that. Yeah. And I felt like he walks in and Picard immediately starts to apologize. And Riker's like, I've moved on. The game is over. Things are ending. There's no time for that kind of stuff anymore, is what I felt he was saying. He also said you were right. So they were both apologizing to each other. But I yeah. think the bigger issue, I guess, is Riker is, you know, realizes that Picard has an opportunity that he would kill for, which is to connect with his son. Yeah, but I, I think it's also significant that Riker has kind of given up. Like, he does have a moment where he sort of, he says, what if we tried this? What if we tried this? And everybody says it won't work. And then he just kind of gives up. And it takes everybody else rallying and then pulling. He's the last one to get pulled in. They all finally put together a plan. And then they have to talk him into it. And I do think that this is a very layered, complex Riker that we haven't seen before. And that some of it for me is about the fact that he's been through this tragedy and he's older. And so when he had, you know, when he was younger and he was just sort of full of youth and power, and now he's in a very different place. And his, his, the death of his son took that away from him is what he's saying. Right. I mean, he's certainly not the jazzy fun Riker of uh, Lower, Lower Decks, Decks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no. um, yeah, he, he lost his mojo. And I did like at the end how you know, this is a great Crusher episode, too. I mean, we kind of moved away from her dra her drama with John Luke so that she could actually do science stuff. But on the emotional side, she was the one who pushed him over, you know, got him going, you know, because he was still giving up at the end until she's, you know, gave a, she gave a great Picard speech. The only thing that bothered me about that was Riker still wasn't willing to do it. So Jean-Luc essentially repeated what she said and <laughs> then he did it. So he kind of mansplained to, you know, at that I'm like, it should have been good. It should have been enough for Riker when she said, let's do what we're so great at, essentially, right? You know, this is what we were born to do. This is what we're great at. We are, didn't you watch The Next Generation? <laughs> so, And Deanna know. would tell you to do it. I like yeah. that you started with that. No, I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because, I mean, Picard uses the some of the same words she used. And then Riker's like, oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I, do, I do that on our podcast all the time. That's true. <laughs> um, Sorry, folks. Um, so I still give her the points for that one. I give her the points for everything. She also is the one who figured out the whole solution. It all started with her. Everybody else is running around like, are we dying? I guess we are. I don't know what's happening. And she's going, three, two, one. She's putting together the information and nobody else is. And in fact, in that scene where they were working it all out, I really would have liked it if the science officer from the bridge had been in there with them. That would have been a nice touch. Or Dr. I mean, I really feel bad for Dr. Oak. She, you know, and, and the actress who was hired, like, oh, you're going to be the CMO on this new Star Trek show. <laughs> like, get out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> she is so relegated. Um, I mean, she's on Twitter. She's having a ball, but she knows the score. But still, it. I mean, Beverly's just like, this is my sick bait now. You shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's who Bev is. I mean, I love the evolution of Beverly, and I think that she's doing what we always knew she could do and rarely got to. An interesting thing about this episode, and I don't know how other fans are going to feel about this, is that they decided it's a bottle show and it's all Titan, except for a little bit, which we can get into. But, you know, there's no Rafi and Worf story. There's no Metallo storyline. I think that works for this episode really well. I think that you need to feel like it's ending. And so you need to feel the way they feel, even though we all know this isn't the end of the show right. and you're not going to die here to, to keep that feeling. You have to stay there. And the, we, we can talk about the flashbacks, but the flashbacks were the only time that they weren't. What it did. I feel getting back to the submarine tone of this. The last episode was all crimson tide and hunt for red October. This one is, is very Das boot. Um, cause they're, <laughs> they're, they're stuck down in the gravity. Well, it's just bleak and claustrophobic. So that's why I think you don't want to cut to the, you know, wacky, you know, criminal underworld and wharf making jokes. There's one other movie reference I want to throw in and I don't know if it was intentional, but I felt like the changeling had a real Robert Patrick in Terminator two moment. There was something about the way he turned when it was in the corridor with seven and the way he turned and looked at her. I mean, I had to watch Terminator 2 about 800 times because of a show that I was working on for MTV many (laughs) years ago. And I became an expert on all how to find a perfect shot of whatever they needed. And so it just reminded me strikingly of Robert. When he was when he was the Vulcan and she shot him. And he turned to, well, just the way he turns to look at her. And I was like, oh, Robert, Pat- I'm getting Robert Patrick vibes. Like it was scary and creepy in exactly that same way. I feel like there was a little inspiration there. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to tell because, you know, when you're watching this as a, as a Star Trek fans as we are, you sometimes get little, you know, tinges of, oh, this reminds me of this. This reminds me of that. You forget these are, you know, these aren't just Star Trek things. These are storytelling techniques, you know. So, for example, was the seven investigation and and looking for the 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 bucket, <laughs> um, you know, was that a Star Trek six gravity boots homage, or it does is it just remind us of that because we're fans and there's a bit of that feel to it, you know. You don't know the intent. I certainly felt that a little bit of gra- you know, you know, the gravity yeah. boots. Oh, for sure. So here's my side note. Here's the thing that I think is just weird and funny is 
so why did Ensign Side Eye have a bucket that looked exactly like Odo's bucket? <laughs> they all have the identical bucket. But see, Odo <laughs> didn't know he was from the Dominion. I you know, know. He didn't. There was no. It's not like he had a template. I mean, so the only thing that here's what makes sense. Here's my headcanon is Ensign Sinai is a huge Odo fan, like a fanboy, or it was the only, you know, by replicating Odo's bucket, if someone found it in his quarters, he could say, oh, you know, I collect memorabilia, you know, and that's, a, you know, uh, or something like that. This guy, because otherwise it's like, you know. How about that after, you know, Odo went into the Great Link, everybody found out about his awesome bucket and they all started making the same one because they never had a bucket as good as his until they found out about it. That's possible. I mean, it, it, so Odo's bucket is in Kira's <laughs> is in Kira's quarters uh, as Colonel Kira's quarters or her office, I think. So I bet that Quark sells replicas of them at all the Quarks around the galaxy. And that's where this guy bought it. What do you think? I think we need a spinoff called Odo's Bucket. Yeah, just or you know, an IDW comic book, something like that. You yeah. know, just a, all about the bucket. Um, but I, I did like, I very much liked the investigation, and of course, teaming her up with Shaw was so great. The two of them, they had the best dialogue, the best moments. It was fantastic. I loved seeing that, and I've been saying this from the beginning. I want these two to have their own show because they're so <laughs> phenomenal together. The moment when he goes, you know, I've really turned a quarter on you and yeah, you're going to make a great captain. You. Yeah, <laughs> and it is what I would say if you were a changeling and not just a dick. <laughs> so good. He's so good. I was a little confused by why he was in his quarters sharpening a knife. Yeah, it was a cool knife, but... What was he doing? And I also, I have to say that... I they had to have him doing this other thing with Seven, which I understand, and I loved every minute of it. But as the captain, if they said, "Oh well, we're all gonna die," wouldn't he go and talk to his crew, even if his leg hurts? Like it just seemed like a weird, like it's still his crew. I mean, this is the funny thing about this show as well. You've got Picard and Riker and Shaw. And a lot of captains. You got too many, you know, and Seven. You know, you've just got too many powerful people around and. He does seem to have checked out, as yes. it were. And, you know, we did learn a lot about Shaw. There's a fan theory article on the site, and there's a list of all sorts of fan theories, one of which was confirmed this week, which is he was at Wolf 359. He, interesting, is CS Survivor's Guild. So and, it's not and, like he lost his wife. He lost, He feels bad that he he survived and all of his other crewmates died. Well, I also think what they did, because, of course, you have the ghost of Picard and Cisco to deal with here. Yeah. And you don't want to repeat it. And I do think that they took it in a very different direction because his story is harrowing. It's not they blew up the ship and only some of us escaped. It's there were a whole bunch of us and we were all buddies and only 10 of us could live and someone had to choose. And he was number 10. And that takes things to a whole other level and, and a different type of trauma because that's survivor's guilt in the biggest possible way. So, um, and he played it beautifully, by the way, sometimes those things you can almost feel them saying, here's the big moment. And I felt in this case, his performance was just amazing. And then his line, one of the best lines I 
ever heard on Star Trek, I think, was him saying, forgive me, at some point, asshole became a substitute for charm. I thought that was a golden line that told you so much in one short sentence. He's self-aware. And there was a callback <laughs> to that, which I thought was fun, when Picard turns to him for help later and, and calls him a dipshit from Chicago. And he um, goes, nice. He totally acknowledges <laughs> and appreciates. He's like, good one, dude. <laughs> Every one of these little pockets, the, the, the Picard and Jack pocket, you know, and Seven and Shaw, each one stood on its own as a nice arc, a nice little story you know and the deanna it's shorter but you know the the riker story with deanna and with the crew as well i mean riker you know was mostly dealing with ship action stuff which was very cool too um, especially at the end i think what all these scenes were so well written and beautifully acted and i think frakes gets a lot out of his actors and i don't know how he managed to do he's directing and i think gave the best performance i've ever seen him give yeah, in both of these episodes, I don't know which one he's better in, but this one's the big one to me because we don't often see him vulnerable yeah. and we don't often see him making mistakes that we can understand. Yeah, I talked to him on the red carpet about this you know, because he was terrified to act in season one, you know, but he said he's really got his confidence back and boy, well, he should. I mean, I really I I it had me thinking about grief in my own life it had me thinking about the character and the things that have happened to him and the choice that he and deanna made to live on a planet you know they they go to this planet to save their to help their son and he dies and they stay there it's just the three of them on that planet isn't it yeah so they were hiding they were hiding and then he hiding didn't work for him and he became empty inside and of course that's too much for her like all of that i was so unhappy in that earlier episode where he said oh i think deanna and kester are better off if i'm not there and i was like what the hell is that and now i'm a hundred percent getting it and i think it's beautiful and his conversation with her at the end was so moving and his attempt to leave her a message where he couldn't was also profoundly moving to me you know, Riker was acting out of sorts and out of character perhaps in the last couple of episodes well out and of the character we used to know Right, but that's a like, so what's funny is some of the fan theories out there were like, well, that can't be him. It's <laughs> got to be. Changeling. He's, he's a change. <laughs> right, it's Thomas Riker, and that's fun. But I think, you know, the the more satisfying thing is there's an emotional reason he's, you know, as we've been talking about, as opposed to, I mean, like what if it was revealed, no offense to the people who were fans of the It's Thomas Riker, <laughs> that it was just been like no that's just dumb you know it's, it's well it like, takes away the impact of everything right yeah, it reduces exactly. the importance of his all of his relationships and conversations and it takes away the beauty of what's been happening to him yeah so i wonder if you know it'll be interesting to see how he acts differently and I hope I hopefully soon we could see him and Deanna get back together because um, they seem to have, you know, made a breakthrough and he's kind of made a breakthrough in the we're jumping to the end here. But the end of this episode, after everything they went through, everyone kind of has this new positive attitude, a very it has a very Star Trek ending with everyone connecting. 
the ultimate version of this, of course, is Jack and Picard themselves. You know, when, when Picard brings Jack to the bridge to help him so that they could have this father and son moment. I thought that it worked in that it was the beginning um, of the end or the end of their beginning of not working together. And it led to, I really liked the moment. You could see Picard because he, everyone else is celebrating their connections and celebrating new life. And they're still kind of alone in their own little ways. Um, and he suddenly, Picard suddenly realizes, oh my God, that was him at Guinan's bar years ago when I, you know, when I rejected him because Beverly said, go find your dad. And he now realizes I pushed him away. And that was another kind of just face acting on, on Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Well, Patrick Stewart's face in this whole episode is incredible. I, and even when his dialogue is like, thanks, Jack, it was great talking to you. Like, it's so meaningful the way that he says it and the way that his body language and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I understood the poetry of having Jack and Picard solve this problem the way they did. And I understand why they wanted to do it that way. And certainly it was satisfying in a way. But to me, it was a little bit frustrating because for two reasons. One, I thought there has to be Jack's like a doctor and there are all these people on the there are all these bridge officers and all this crew and they know the Titan really, really well. And I thought they would have been a better choice purely just for navigating and figuring that out. I thought, and it almost would have made more sense if Jack Crusher was Jack Crusher's son, but he's not. So it's Picard's recreating this thing he had with his best friend who isn't the other guy's dad. So somehow, but that didn't take me fully out of the story the way the holodeck did before we get into that i mean I, I think it's kind of like in the last episode and there was this whole funny like debate on twitter over this you know of like should Riker have brought seven to the bridge to, you know to, in the last episode did that make logical sense to either you know or should shah have brought her to the bridge but emotionally the point was we wanted picard and Riker together right so you know are we, is this show a documentary or is the story about people and family and emotional connections? And sometimes you have to, you know, and, and I guess that's the, that's the thing of like, are, you know, you know, will you let it go or not? The kind of pure Starfleet regulation logic to something versus this has an emotional resonance um, that works. The Riker 7 thing to me, I could buy the in-universe explanation that with everything going on, it just didn't occur to him. Like, I could totally buy that. That Riker's in the thick of things. He's just trying to handle what's happening. He wouldn't think, oh, wait, Seven's in her, you know, he's only known her for a half hour anyway. So <laughs> um, that I could sort of get. This one was a, a little trickier for me, but I it didn't take away from the emotional resonance of it. So that's important, I think. And I don't need everything explained. Like, I don't always want them to say, well, the reason no one on the bridge is doing it, like, because when they do try to hand wave things, it doesn't work for like hand waving. I would have named you Jack Crusher, too. Didn't work for me at all as an explanation. But the bigger issue is the holodeck. We have to talk about this is to me the elephant in the room, because it if they're at the point that they're trying to keep life support and they need every ounce of power and they're shutting down all these things 
it literally makes no sense. Oh, the holodeck operates separately. Really? That's, first of all, a really dumb idea for a ship. And second of all, whatever power it is, you would take from the holodeck and you would put into life support and shields and whatever you needed. Yeah, I get it. The hand wave could have been better. It's, it's AC and DC. It wouldn't work. There's no way to, you know, who knows, whatever. I don't think a hand wave would have worked at all. They needed a place for people to gather for the crew to listen. You know, I thought one of the best things there was not just the Jack and the Picard stuff, but when Shaw goes on his tirade before he says the asshole thing, just the way his crew was looking at him like, yeah, oh my God, our captain's crazy. Yep. No. And I think they could have done that in a room that was like 10 forward on the Enterprise or the crew lounge on discovery or you know somewhere where people gather mess hall on voyager like there are a lot of places where crew would gather i just couldn't get past like they really wanted it to take place there and they have a set and that's when it took me out of it because i just i felt oh we really wanted to do this versus this makes any kind of sense whatsoever there's the whole time they're talking about power they have no power yeah, I mean, the crisis is about power, but they've got power for this. I mean, they did ex- also explain that this is important for crew in times of crisis. You know, I guess this is, you know, something that I get what you're saying, you know, and then on the logistics side, they literally don't have a 10 forward set. They don't have an AR wall. They have this set and uh, they're going to use it. And so there you go. But yeah, sure. It doesn't use any power because once you set it to the to the 10 forward set you don't need any more power you know you only need power when they reset it to something else not buying it sorry (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) there's another big thing we need to i feel like there's so much in this episode to get to but here's a big one let's talk about vatic for a minute oh yeah i mean that is the only time we we cut away from except for the flashbacks the plot stuff since rafi and Worf don't get to do any plot stuff vatic has to do her own plot stuff well she gets a little friend to help her by cutting off her own hand (laughs) (laughs) and like a wizard of oz kind of thing shows up or a weird smoky kind of that's it's it's a big reveal though vatic has a boss yes that she's terrified of and it's unclear if her boss is another changeling she's okay so it's now clear she's a changeling so yes. we could put out we had the theory of maybe she's a new vorda that's gone i still think her soldiers could be geminar new geminar 2.0 or breen which has been talked about also sure um but she's a changeling um or she just likes to cut her hand off um and put it back on again but i mean maybe her boss is a changeling too but i kind of feel like there's something bigger going on the fact that they revealed the changelings in episode three makes me feel like this is a bit of a fake out. Well, it feels like a very different kind of changeling. Well, she is. And yeah, and 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 if that is her boss, then he is. I mean, this could all be, the, you know, they're still suffering from the plague that Section 31 caused um, because they weren't part of the Great Link, as, as Worf said last week. Right. So maybe her boss, who was just really awful looking, in the credits, her boss was called The Face, in quotes. <laughs> just in case you couldn't guess which character that was referring to. Um, and it's voiced by kind of a just a voiceover guy, not someone. I don't know if this is going to be a recurring character, I assume. Well, you can't just show him once and that's it. We got to find out what the hell is going on. Yeah, I hope we actually meet the guy. 
yeah. you know, and see what his deal is. Why is he part of her body? That was so, there's got, I mean, I'm so looking forward to finding out what the hell is going on there. I'm not sure they'll ever explain that. I would like to know the in-universe explanation of this is how, I, I'm thinking it has something to do, like, this is the ultimate two-factor authentication, you know, like, there's no way to tap into this because it's it's it'll only work changeling to changeling. Okay. You know, or something like that, yeah. which would imply that the, the person on the other end was a changeling. Right. Perhaps. And not that he lives in her arm. <laughs> no, I don't think that's, did you, did you think that was what's going Only on? Only for I, the first like 55 okay. seconds. Okay. I assume he's somewhere like, Is that else. Is creature living in her arm? And then, you know, I was like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> there was another blink and you miss it moment. Like, so- the reason why she wouldn't follow them to the gravity well is that the portal weapon techno babble can't go down there, you know, because of reasons. And he's like, no, you got to go. And so she didn't just turn it off. She literally ejected the portal weapon from the ship. Yep. So we'll never see that again. Or somebody else will find it. Well, yeah, but I guess, cause that was such a game changing piece of technology and I guess maybe, you know, in battles to come, it's better if they don't have that available right. to them right. anymore. Um, so, you know, the portal weapon was fun, but I think, I mean, maybe they're done with it. Although someone used a version of it on it. Yeah, that probably wasn't the Shrike on Metallus. So maybe there are other copies of it. Who knows? We'll see. I don't know. I don't know what I, I did think someone could pick it up. But I did see it floating out in space. Another small thing to notice is that Shaw is still asking good questions. And he had a big question about why, because, you know, Ensign Sidei was a transporter officer. Yeah. And he said, why would the Changeling focus on transporter tech? The obvious answer is that he helped get other people onto the ship. Right. So the Changeling paranoia may not be Riker, but there's probably someone else on the ship. Right. But I like that Shaw is still asking those questions that everyone else is forgetting about. I think if you don't love Shaw after this episode, how could you not love this guy? But I kind of felt like they were going because he and Picard kind of had their haha bonding moment. And then he had his hero moment at the end. And I thought, OK, they're going to kill him. Right. Because as you were saying, like, you know, they've got too many chefs in this kitchen. But I don't know. I, I think that he's just going to make it, you know, it, 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 but every week I'm thinking this is the week they kill him. But I also kind of feel like maybe they're not going to kill him often. because he's such a great character. Yeah. I mean, that didn't stop Strange New Worlds from getting rid of Hammer. So I do try to keep that in mind because that was a fantastic character. And now he's gone. But I think they'll try to keep Shaw around. Usually to show the stakes of something, people die. Did we see anyone die in the crew? There were injured people. Yeah, the changeling shot and killed. Okay, that's right. Someone in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was so fast. But usually they make a big deal out of it. You know, I'm thinking of Scotty carrying his nephew up to the bridge. You right. Know, like, <laughs> you, you want you want someone. You want to feel it. You didn't feel that death. That was so fast. But it, to just to show how dangerous things were. You know, there was never a moment where an asteroid hit a section and five crewmen blew out the window you know it's it, but I, we can only assume there were casualties there must have been right or maybe they're trying not to build up more guilt for picard and Riker for dragging everybody into this by killing a lot of people <laughs> yes that's that's true that's true um, 
in that scene, like when the crew member died and then the changeling shifted, all of a sudden it's like, you know how they used to, you know, he called them goo or whatever. And they used to, <laughs> they used to look very gooey. And now it sort of looked like liquid bacon, I thought. Like liquid raw bacon. There is a funkiness to their <laughs> gooeyness. I mean, it isn't as smooth. And I, well, I, I feel maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of maybe they're just not as nice and pure as the old changelings. Yeah. I think it's definitely a different, they've merged with something else or something else has happened, but these aren't, you know, the change. <laughs> these aren't your grandmother's changelings. I thought in the first, he described them as Play-Doh, but he actually, he didn't use the word Play-Doh. No, he like, rhymed with, it rhymed. It rhymed with Play-Doh. Cause I'm like, does Play-Doh still exist? But I, you know, it, 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 it and he called them. Then he called it residue. So you know, yeah, he had I a liked lot of good residue. I liked residue a lot. It's funny to see. I liked how Seven's like what? Because she's in the Delta Quadrant of the whole Dominion War. She has no like. She's yeah. kind of a little out of it as he's talking about you know changelings, the Dominion. She's like, huh? That was a good way because Worf gave us a little bit last week. So that you know, because I think this is helpful. For yeah. people who weren't DS9 fans and need to get up to speed because it, it's an, obviously very important. But also those people should go watch Deep Space Nine because it's really good. Of course. But yes, I agree. No, it's helpful because, again, you don't want to go into it having to know all this stuff. And I I think you don't have to. I think they're giving you the right amount of information. We still don't. I mean, we definitely know that the face wants Jack really badly. Yes. No one says your crew doesn't matter. You don't matter. Your ship doesn't matter. We just need Jack. And then Jack is having these visions. So those things have to be connected. So the question about Vatic is, is Vatic a loyal follower of whoever this guy is? Is she a paid follower? I was sort of torn because for a minute there, I almost thought this face person had something on her and was sort of forcing her to do it except that whenever she's back in her captain's chair she's so giddy and delighted with everything that she's yeah. doing which seems in conflict with that idea it comes down to whether the, the the bad guy is another changeling or something else right one theory is it's lore or some version of lore because we know lore is coming back and maybe lore is what was stolen from daystrom but you know lore has been pulling the strings all along yeah, I don't know why Laura would care about Jack. I mean, the vision thing at the end, we now know that that wasn't the gas. Right. We have full confirmation that wasn't the gas. It did remind me fleetingly of the visions in season one of Picard, like the Romulans, and they got this, made them all go crazy. Right. The admonition thing. The admonition. There's, yeah. There's something inside of him. Someone inserted some code in him. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, something like that. I, yeah, that they, they need, but it also has something to do with whatever they stole from Daystrom, which is why I was thinking of lore. Here's my only clue, and this may not be a clue at all. This is the thing if we talk about homages. So the scene where Jack, which ends the episode, is a straight up almost copy of the opening scene of First Contact when Picard's having his nightmare. Right. And he goes to wash his face and then the Borg piece. So he had the, the kind of nightmare within a nightmare. So that made me think, is this just an homage to that? 
because it clearly was, or is this some kind of hint about the Borg, which have been a kind of recurring theme. I mean, it was mentioned in this episode, the whole thing, you know, with um, Wolf 359 and... Lacutus. Yeah, yeah. so maybe there's something there. And the other part of it, from our interview with Gates, because when we wanted to talk to her about Beverly's decision not to tell Jean-Luc, and she said... The thing she said that I thought was key was you have to see more episodes. You have to wait until the end and then you can make a more educated decision, I think is what she was saying about that choice. So that to me says there's more information coming about Jack and maybe it's not just a a shore leave romp, that there's something else involved in Jack's creation or existence. Yes. So did she do something? Use nanobots? Did she, yeah, or did somebody else, but something, there's, yeah, more, I mean the, there's more to that. Right. I mean, the, another popular theory, which I think adds up, is that Jack is an augment of some sort, and that's why she kept him away from Starfleet. There was a funny line in Shaw's Borg tirade when he said, forget all that weird shit on the Stargazer, the real Borg are still out there. <laughs> which I think is important. And what he's talking about is when Gerardi showed up at the end of season two and was like, I'm a nice Borg, you know? And what he's saying is sure she was nice, but the, the, the real Borg, the ones that we are all afraid of are still out there. So that could be a clue as well. That's a whole other show. I'd be very happy to watch the nice Borg shore Just show. The follow up on the, all the Borg, the Borgness of the Borg. <laughs> We got a little bit on Prodigy. I don't. I'm curious if these guys are talking to each other. I. They, I mean, they are supposed to. Supposed yeah, to be we know they to do other. talk to each other. Because there was, a, I thought, a very significant thing in the latest season of Prodigy with the Borg in the period that's still years before this, but it was kind of our first Borg update after what Janeway did, right? Where Zero woke them up. Yeah, so, that's a big deal, not to yeah. be taken lightly. This is all Zero's fault. Okay, getting back to the episode. I do want to bring back the the Riker thing. It was nice to see Marina Sirtis as Troy at the end. And they kind of surprised us. We thought, oh, is he doing another recording? And then no, there she is. And they're having a real conversation, a husband and wife conversation. She's not the nag she was in the previous episode in the flashback. It was um, great to see her. Yeah. I agree. I was very happy with that scene and very happy with the way that they were talking to each other. I think there may be something when she goes, are you and John Luke in trouble? Because th- there she, is a... Again, she didn't mention <laughs> Beverly. She didn't say, are you and John Luke and Beverly in trouble? You know, her friend Beverly that she hasn't spoken to in 20 years <laughs> who started this whole story going. I was a little miffed at the omission. Well, I think that what she's implying is that we don't know what's happening back home at hq on you know on earth or you know but there must be like cnn must be or fnn must be saying admiral picard and you know stole a ship or something i mean they must have they must be wanted men or something right because that's what i'm thinking she meant by that well she no i i don't think it's that she saw the story on the news (laughs) um i think that it's she knows he what he went off to do she knows he went off because jean-luc called Yeah. And then she knows she didn't hear from him for a while. That's true. So I think it was more about that than that. I don't. I thought she meant legal trouble. 
I know. Well, she, so I think there was a lot of nuance to that. And I think she could have meant in trouble as a relationship, in trouble with the authorities, in physical danger. There are a lot of different things she could have been asking about, which is why I wanted her to say, how's Beverly, by the way? Like, That's again, I just, I kind of want we'll get Beverly there. to interact with, with some other people. I want Beverly and Riker to have a conversation. I want Beverly and Troy to have a conversation. So I, I'm looking forward to everybody getting together so they can talk to each other more. I am glad that they're done with the nebula slash anomaly. Yeah, it, was it was time to get out. Yeah, four episodes was a lot of time there. It did end nicely. You and I guessed that there was some kind of life form situation happening. Space babies. People may think that they are encounter. Encounter got a, or Farpoint got a, it was funny the way Stuart said there's, you know, uh, Picard said that when, when Beverly was talking about space life forms and the way John Luke just said Farpoint, it reminds, it's just like that shorthand is exactly yeah. how a Star Trek fan would talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, Farpoint. Yep. You know? So I don't think those were Farpoint jellyfish because they were more squiddy than jellyfishy. Yeah, but they were reminiscent of Farpoint jellyfish. There was a, an element of, ooh, look, a totally new life form. Isn't that amazing? Let's get the hell out of here. Like, <laughs> you know, run a couple scans while you're maybe try to communicate, you know, or, you know, it's like, nope. We, well, you know. no, I mean, that they, they had to get out. They had to leave. They had to get out of there. Yes, I know. I was just complaining about how they spent too much time in the nebula. But this is like that thing in, in Discovery. <laughs> Remember, they found that ship in Discovery and they're like, oh, look at these people. This is amazing. This is a whole new culture. Bye. Bye. Yeah, but they didn't. They weren't. They hadn't just been being chased by some <laughs> murderous. I'm trying to kidnap this guy, and I'll peck at all of you until you die, person. So, I right. I mean, the, the Shrike was still there. Um, yes. Uh, although Riker really nailed them, literally. I loved that. Was so again. <laughs> they keep repeatedly coming up with cool things to do in space, yeah. which is hard to do something new and fun in Star Trek because it's all been done. We've had the most creative minds for decades putting together these great scenarios and to actually be able to do something new and different and fun is quite the accomplishment and fleeing the asteroid. It was so great after throwing the ship. It was poetic. It was funny. It was clever. It looked cool. It was very satisfying. Yeah. The riding the wave thing. We've seen versions of that. Yep. On other Star Trek shows. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time on everything. It was still well done. It looked great. Yep. The using the nacelles and, and, and that. So now we kind of learned about Shaw. Not only is he a dipshit from Chicago, but he's a brilliant engineer. He's a grease, grease monkey. monkey. I loved even just the, the shots of the nacelle door opening. I thought it looked great. I loved him really looking like he's under a car. Like, as she's handing him tools, I thought that was really great. It made him seem very vulnerable when fake LaForge walked into the room. Yeah. And because I just, I thought this might be where he gets it. Like, you know, she could do something to him right now. And just in terms of that scene, that was a really nice payoff to last week in Commander 7. Yeah, that was, well, I mean... It was so obvious that the the announcement over the PA of <laughs> just to be clear, you are alone. Right. Attention, attention, saboteurs, Seven and Shaw are alone in case you want to do more saboteuring. 
I don't think we as the viewers were supposed to be fooled. I think because we knew the second she showed up and I think every I don't think there's anyone watching who was like, I think that's really LaForge. (laughs) And she name dropped her father again. Right in a in a really over the top, like right. you know the legend. My, like you wouldn't, and also you wouldn't show up to help with an engineering problem because your dad's an engineer. Does like, the my, ship have an engineer? By the my way, my mother was a therapist, and I don't show up and try to psychoanalyze people. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, okay, I do a little bit, but I don't. You know, I don't claim to be an expert because of my mother. Most of the time. <laughs> We've kind of talked this thing out. We, you know, I love the episode bucket and all. I think it's great. <laughs> um, I, I had another frustration. I'll do that. And then I'll do the thing I really liked. So the frustration I had was, you know, Riker tells Picard, the Titan is dead in the water. And then Picard in the annoying holodeck is telling Jack this story about being dead in the water and literally says the same phrase. So at this point, the whole audience is going, well, whatever you did there is going to apply here. Why don't you try what you did there? And Picard doesn't realize it. And he's just heard that he's just said the phrase that he heard Riker say to him. Dead in but the it, water. It's, it's not really because what they did is they used the tiny bit of energy they had left with the thrusters and the life support bouncing back and forth, which is not what... This, their solution was to ride this wave of energy. So it was a totally different it's solution. It's different, but it's, it's uh, in, a, in a previous series, that would have been the trigger for them to start saying, oh, well, we shouldn't, maybe there is something we can do. So maybe. I just, I felt like as a viewer, I was like, hello, this is going to be part of your solution. The real connection at the end was the flying blind thing, which is why they had Jack help him at the end because they right. were quote flying blind. But now here's a beautiful thing about that moment and that conversation in the holodeck, which was, I really liked when Jack said, you know, if you think that I need this, I don't, I'm used to being an outsider. And Picard says, I think maybe I do. And there was something in his voice, in his acting. It was such a simple line. And I felt like he was conveying so much about his, growth and his journey and and his emotions and everything i thought it was a a quietly powerful moment and they're great together patrick's done his best acting on the series oh, this season yes. yes and ed you know they said jack was 23 or 24 you know ed spillers is obviously 34 but it's worth it because he's just he's great he is such a good actor i think he's, he's got a huge future I loved him on Downton too. I think he's terrific. It's kind of you know I don't like to bring up you know into darkness, but that was Benedict Cumberbatch's first you know big feature film you know and it's it before um, he became Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, you know those before yeah. Doctor Strange and everything of they couldn't find anyone that worked. They just found someone who was a really good actor, you know, and right. uh, that was a, you know people were upset about that. But he is a really good actor. And I feel like same thing here. This guy may not be the right age, but he's a just amazing actor. He also had my second favorite line in the whole episode, which was, Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. We hightail it out of the nebula. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he goes back and forth between the emotional stuff and the charm and the humor. He really, he's great. Oh, and let's not forget before we finish, this I believe is the first Official canon mention of cannabis 
in Star Trek. Yes. So I was celebrating that because I'm so happy it survived into the future. And that when Seven said, are you talking about cannabis? And he was like, sadly, no, or what, unfortunately, no, or something like that. And I just was very, thank you, Star Trek, for finally remembering about the greatness of cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> Will we see space, space weed? Is Rafi a connoisseur of space weed? Well, she's, you know, she's had a vape and been doing some weird things before, but. There was a lot of, you know, just like the other episodes, there's the Hirogen mention and, you know, the. There was Calco and Anson Sideye's quarters. We had. His quarters, by the way, huge. Gigantic. How's that possible? Yeah, I don't know. It adds insult to the bunk bed scene even more. Right, which was all, which was meant to be a bunk bed, and a final note that of a choice they're making in this season, I believe, editing wise, which I'm finding interesting, and it works for me most of the time and not all the time, is that a lot of times they they bring in the audio from the next scene over the last scene, and I think sometimes it's quite powerful and effective, and occasionally it's briefly confusing. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. But all in all, despite my issues, objections, I really thought it was a, a, a brilliant episode, minus a few things. I loved it. And this, I guess we're done with what I'd consider the first movie of a three-movie trilogy, maybe, right? Yep. So the first four episodes are kind of act one of the three of a three-act, I don't know, maybe it's four or five acts, but it feels like this was... A single thing, it's done, and now we're moving on to the next thing, which will be Daystrom, and you know, because we still haven't. There's no LaForge yet. Jordy and uh, Deanna in person. Lore. Lore. That's the big one. Yep. So there's so much more to come. We still have to get the gang back together, even though it's not a reunion. And we know that there's going to be either DS9 or Voyagers. There's some other cameos coming. Right. Out there. Some, you know, six episodes, I feel like I never wanted to end, but I'm really loving what we got so far. Agreed. So shall we pivot? Let's pivot. That's been our word of the week. So <laughs> let's let's pivot uh, to our bits of the week. What is yours? Mine is, it's tangentially related to Dave Blass is a great, I think we've mentioned him before, great follow on Twitter. Oh, Yeah. As production designer for Picard. And uh, so in one of his discussions, he mentioned this article from last year about the strange new worlds and how it uses mid-century design. And it's this great breakdown of the you know, sets on strange new worlds, this two part article on this uh, website called uh, film and furniture. <laughs> and it breaks down like a lot of the furniture. And what's great is, they identify all the buyable furniture. So you could buy, you know, like cat, the captain's chair obviously is a custom thing, but like all the conference table chairs and various lamps and things, a ton of this stuff you could just buy. And it's really cool stuff. I bet it's very expensive. Oh yeah, of course. But it's beautiful. I'm glad they do those things because they should highlight the beautiful work that's being done. Well, and, and the mid-century design thing is tied into the original series. There yeah. was a great book that came out about the mid-century design on the original series, and they definitely are doing that, you know, because it's obviously the same ship. Um, so uh, anyway, it's um, just a, a fun read, and possibly for you 
that have the money a shopping spree for you to <laughs> <laughs> make your own enterprise. Um, what's your bit of the week? Uh, mine is that the pod directive is back. The pod, the official Star Trek podcast co-hosted by Tony Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins. Um, they're going to release episodes every other week. And the first one is with Jonathan Frakes. And it is an absolute gem. The things he talks about, he, the, he talks about the job he's most ashamed of. He gets into some good detail on, I mean, some stories we've heard before, like him being Captain America, where he used to go to malls and places like that and his early jobs. Um, he tells a great story. He's the one who had to call Armin to say, we cut your scene from, was it, it was first contact? Yeah, it was first contact. Insurrection? Yeah. No, first contact. I forget. Uh oh. Yeah. Anyway, they had a scene with Armin, and he's the one who had to make the call to say, and he said he called him like the night before the premiere to say, you might not want to come to the premiere. You don't have to <laughs> because you're not in it. But he's he's so relaxed. I mean, it's he really connects with Tawny and with Paul. And it is such an enjoyable listen that I was listening while I was doing something, and then I finished the thing I was doing, and I just stopped doing anything because I just couldn't bear the idea of not listening to the rest of it right at that moment this is the second time they've done a um podcast and this is the, the the pod directive is a much better podcast than the original official podcast oh yeah because they don't do what we do which is like news and that those kind of interviews they're more fun although freaks did say that a little bit about the um, crossover episode of strange new worlds and lower decks he said there's a, a fun enterprise thing in there but yeah for the most part it's not about that kind of stuff no, like one of the really fun things I think people are going to love is when he talks about she's about, she and Paul were about to go on the cruise, which we know is done now, but they recorded right before they went on the cruise and they asked him what to expect and what it should be like. He gave the perspective not of what it's like for all of us yokels who might go, but what it's like for the Star Trek celebrities. And now I'm like, if I were one of them, I would go every year if that was going to be the experience. It sounds great. So just I won't spoil it. Go listen to it. So. That's it for episode 131, by the way, Woo! of <laughs> All Access Star Trek. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and go over to Apple and give us a review. If you don't like it, please don't do that. And why are you listening? But if you do like it, please go give us a review. We would really appreciate it. Goodbye. Bye.